What's up, guys? Welcome to another episode of Free Country. It's been a long time. It's been a very, very, very long time. And I know that, and uh, I'm going to talk a little bit about that in this intro. But really, I'm just coming back because I have an interview that I'd love to share with you guys. Um, but first, let's just say, hey, how are you? Hope things are good. Um, I hope you are either enjoying or coping well with Thanksgiving and and being with your fam if you're with your fam or being with your life family if you're with just some friends or something. So I hope you're feeling good. I haven't done a podcast in a long time because a few months ago, I really decided to focus my efforts on my YouTube channel. I was trying to do so many different things at once that I was not only not getting much done because I'm not good at focusing on a lot of different projects. I was becoming really overwhelmed, really unhappy, and I was neglecting the main part of my life that was really growing, which was my channel. I still think the podcast is a really, really good idea. I just think I probably started it too early. Maybe one day when I have some help, when someone can help me edit the videos and plan them, and uh, <laughs> when I have a little more time to just listen to all the new music that's coming out, like I can, I can have a situation where all I really need to do is sit down and share my thoughts or do an interview on the podcast and someone else can help edit it and add in music and get it posted to all of the different platforms and uh, write the description for it. But as it stood, I was, I think I just started it too soon and I got such good response on it. And I feel, honestly, I do feel guilty and I don't think I feel ashamed or I feel bad about myself. I think I feel a healthy amount of guilt that I started something that people gave me a lot of positive feedback on, and then I just couldn't fulfill the promise of doing it. I know that's kind of a dime a dozen story now with podcasts, but hey, I wanted to own up to it here, say sorry for starting something that I couldn't follow through on, but I also like that you know I've learned how to do a podcast, and I'm able to have a way of posting stuff now when I think it's appropriate to post. The stuff that I want to put here moving forward until, like I said, maybe down the road, there could be a different situation and a producer or something that could help me do these or a network that could help me do these. Um, till then, I think this this podcast will be really useful for posting conversations I have with other people. So there's a YouTube video that's going up on my channel this afternoon. It's an interview with Kip Moore. I was really gratified that he decided to come and, onto my channel and let me <laughs> interview him. It's kind of cool. It's my first major label artist, so I feel pretty proud of myself that I'm really growing my little country music brand to a place where that's doable. But we sat down and I really like Kip because uh, Kip keeps it very real. Kip is a guy that you might know from his first album who had songs like Hey Pretty Girl and Something About a Truck. But he has since, you know, since then had a much less uh, consistent career than you might expect from one of these big guys out of Nashville. He's had a lot of ups and downs. He's had singles that didn't take off on radio. He's kind of taken more chances and really leaned into this almost Eric Church, Bruce Springsteen-y kind of sound. And I think it's served him really well. He has an incredibly loyal fan base. And I have come to just respect him immensely as a performer. I saw him open for Dirk's Bentley Live years ago and was amazed that he was commanding the crowd of this amphitheater the way he was. And then I got to see him on an acoustic tour here in Charlottesville. And he did the same thing in a much smaller room. I think Kip's just like, you know, he's one of the good guys. He's honest. He's talented. He's a good writer. He's got a crazy gravelly voice. And it was really fun to talk to him about all things uh, like in his background growing up in Georgia, all things about 
his outdoor love of the outdoors and surfing in Costa Rica, which is he, he gets into kind of his spiritual journey a little bit as well. But then for the most part, we talked about music and there'll be timestamps in the description of this podcast episode. If you want to kind of click around in our conversation, um, if you're also interested, you know, I have a Patreon where I am doing monthly podcasts. So if you're really missing, uh, just the audio format of <laughs> hearing my thoughts on country music, I am doing one bonus episode a month over there on Patreon. So sometimes we're taking questions from people, um, in the Patreon, or sometimes I am, just talking about what's going on in country music at the moment. For the most part, though, I'm trying to stick with what's working for me. And what's working for me right now is the YouTube channel. Um, it's really cool what's happened over there. I'm at like 92,000 subscribers now. And I'm appreciative. Got my my, my audience. And uh, they keep me young. My audience over on YouTube does. And they're also over on the subreddit. Guys, there's a million ways to connect. Generally, if you just go to any of my YouTube videos and, and look down in the description bar, that's kind of all my links and stuff. But that's it, guys. That's my little intro here. I wanted to offer a little bit of an explanation. Oh, and I do want to check in. You know, a lot of you guys send me messages and say, I hope your dad is doing well. I know before I kind of took the podcast hiatus, I had mentioned that my dad has leukemia. He is done with chemo, which is kind of phase one. And so that's gone well. And God willing, next week he goes in for the bone marrow transplant. He does have a Mac. He does have a donor. And uh, we've had a few logistical delays with a different donor that had to back out. But uh, we're really all hopeful that that goes through next week. And um, I actually did something with my parents. So you will get to meet them on the channel soon, which I'm really excited about. So that's all that, I think. Uh, I'm trying to think of what else to say. I'm trying to create merch. And I have a Can Say I Ain't Country shirt. And then I've also been designing that wolf that's in the background of my videos that everyone really likes. I've been turning that into a vector image, which, wow, has that been an adventure. And trying to get that on a shirt. So that's coming soon. But otherwise, I don't know. You guys know what's going on. I feel like people, whether they're on Instagram or Twitter or YouTube or wherever people are connecting with, with my stuff... Um, they generally have a sense of everything that's going on. So without further ado, let's get into this Kip Moore interview. I love you guys. I hope you have a great Thanksgiving. And that's it. Bye, y'all. There will probably be some intro before this, but I'm here with Kip Moore uh, before his Charlottesville show, um, sitting on his tour bus. It's very, it's, it's all a janky setup at the moment, so just very. excuse all of that. <laughs> We've got a ring light. we got my camera. And we're just making it work. But um, thank you for, but. you're the first major label artist to appear on this channel. So this is either uh, blazing a great trail or... Or the, or the beginning of the end. Yeah, the beginning, yeah. <laughs> truly, truly. So I, um, I, I've been reading about you. I mean, look, I've been a fan for a long time. I've actually interviewed you twice before, but both times nothing was done with the interview. Um, it'll, it'll be done this time, though. So the first time we ever met was in 2011 or 2012? I was say 2012. Yeah. In New York City. Yeah. It was like me and my music editor, you and your publicist or something, yeah. and we went to a restaurant called Oceana. Um, yeah, it was around the Up All Night record. Do you recall what you ordered at this extremely fancy no. midtown <laughs> New York seafood no, restaurant? No idea. You asked for a burger. No um, way. Yeah, to which the waiter said no. Um, like you're not allowed. And you, it, it was all like $50 oyster plates and you had them bring you a that salmon, sounds about right. a salmon burger that they were probably all going to charge back to me. <laughs> <laughs> probably. I certainly didn't pay for it. Uh, so 
I'm glad to be doing an interview that he put LaCroix in his whiskey by the way a little bit of LaCroix <laughs> There's a thing that people say. I call you out. There's a thing. There's a there's a there's a thing that people say on my channel, in response to the Florida Georgia Line record, where they say that I can say I ain't country. Okay. Um, but yeah, I'm not I'm not <laughs> pretending to be. But you grew up very country. I want to yeah. start there. I want to because for anyone that doesn't know you, um, you're from a town called Tifting, Georgia. Tifton, Georgia. Describe you know in the 2010 census, Tifton had 16,000 people that were listed on it. But so it's not a big town. But describe no, what what it's definitely like gotten bigger. It was really small growing up for me. I mean, it's it's a it's a whole lot of pine trees, backcountry roads, a lot of dirt road riding, a lot of fishing holes, ponds. You know, it was a very simplistic, super simplistic life. Uh, little strip malls full of like Payless shoes and <laughs> Kmart. Not even a Walmart. You know, it was a Kmart. Mm, we Kmart. finally got the Walmart, but it was Kmart forever. Um, and you were one of six kids? One of six. Two Where older, are you in older, that line? Two older brothers and three younger sisters. Okay. So, yeah, I mean, I was the youngest boy, and then um, and my mom was like, I got to have a little girl. And then my dad, uh, yeah, my my dad was, he was amazing, man. I miss him all the time. He was, it was a, a super blue-collar family. I mean, there was a, you know. What one, did he do? He, he was a professional golfer. So he was a, a, a stroke away, actually, in his 30s um, from making the PGA Tour. Um, a stroke away, really? he lost. To, uh, went through Q school, lost to Johnny Miller, who ended up winning like three U.S. Opens. Uh, and but you know, it, back then the tour didn't pay very much unless you were like one of the top guys. Mm -hmm. So he had two kids right away. You know, had me, and it was like he had to get a steady job. So he was just the local pro at a small little club in my hometown. Really, and you know, you know, the guy probably never made more than you know, a little over 40000 a year and six kids took care of us. And I, I don't know how he did it sometimes. There was one time where there was all six of us in a little, like, uh, two-and-a-half-bedroom house. I mean, it was, it was, uh, but, you know, he was, my mom and dad, man, they were, they were, they were incredible. Mom played organ in the church. Um, but, yeah, my dad was, like, the one that turned me on to music, essentially, because he was a fanatic for music and always playing Motown records and playing, like, Jackson Brown. And I was hearing these days at an early age and, like, hearing Bob Dylan records and Little River Band, Cool Change. And I remember hearing that, my mind exploding. And, you know, I wasn't old enough yet to grasp the weight of that song. And then once I got older and I'm hearing songs like Against the Wind, now that I'm older and that was his favorite, and Cool Change, I'm realizing he was always wanting to get out. You know, we, we were like an <laughs> anchor to him. He had this wild spirit, but yeah. he, he wanted to be true to us, so he stayed. But mm -hmm. he always had that rambling fever about him. He was a wild man. Well... Uh, okay, so what that that the idea of him being a wild man? Yeah. No, 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 no. I'm I'm I got real into the history of Tifton when I was researching you. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if you're aware of this, but they had uh, for a long time one of the things on the Wikipedia page for Tifton, Georgia, is that they were the home of the second largest magnolia tree in the world. Yeah. Um. In 2004, this tree went up in flames. To this day, the police have not said who lit the fire or. Or, and they have not reopened the park. Also, you moved to I, Nashville I in 2004, um, and you say your dad was a wild man. I'm just yeah. asking, were either of you involved, or do you know people that were involved? <laughs> or, <laughs> no. Or, no. 
No, man. Or were you like protectors of it? So when you went to Nashville, someone's like, now I'm going to make my move and ruin nah, the tree. You know, like Tipton has a lot of, I love my hometown. Anybody, <laughs> like I love Tipton. I'm proud of where I came from. But Tipton has like all these like claims to fame. Like you'll see all these signs that say like number one reading capital of the world. I'm like, who comes up with that? Like, where is the like data on that? You know, like best small town in America. And I'm like, did somebody just put this on a... It's, it's 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 sometimes it's kind of funny, but I don't know if that magnolia tree was the biggest. It was. It was big. the second biggest. That's the best part about their claim. It was. It's it was the, the who's climbing the second biggest magnolia <laughs> yeah. tree in the world. Yeah. Was that a part of your upbringing at all? Not. You know, like I made out by the tree one time. But that's about it, Mandy. <laughs> There you go, yeah, maybe she burned it down. Yeah, maybe she um, did. She was actually yeah, left her jilted. Well, I think like uh, you 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 played golf yourself, right? I was always basketball and baseball. Um, I, I got a basketball scholarship around Birmingham, Alabama, and that's what I did for a while. I didn't pick up golf until I was about seventeen. Um, my dad was great, but he never he never tried to get me to play. My brother was really good. My brother David, he was all American. I always looked up to him. Um, but uh, I didn't start playing until I was seventeen. I quit baseball like my, my junior year, and like that summer before my senior year, I started playing some. And then um, it was just something that kind of I guess naturally ran in my blood. My granddad was a pro. My great granddad was a pro. Um, and you know, after basketball for a couple of years, I ended up switching and played golf for a couple. You got, I mean, as I read, you got a scholarship to Valdosta State. Yeah, I got a full ride to Valdosta State. I played for, for two years there. Wow. Um, well, that's interesting. Yeah. Um, I mean, because yeah, I, I mean, I, the thing that I knew, the, the stuff, that, this is all stuff I didn't know about you, and I've been a pretty big fan for mm-hmm. a number of years, but it's like, you know, everyone when they talk about you is going to talk about surfing, and yeah. I was like, oh, I wonder if he's ever had to give his, like, surf playlist, and then I found, you have to do that all the time in interviews of what of, of that, so I was like, not a good question, but, you know, you are known as an outdoorsman for surfing, for for backpacking, I've got for really rock, rock climbing. climbing, yeah, and I know, I thought this was very interesting, that was a surprise to me, you've opened this place called Bedrock Man, it's, at it's, Red River Gorge in special, Kentucky. It's special. Will you just tell me about what it even is? Man, so two years ago, long story short, two years ago, me and my buddy Jeremy Sawyers, who's like a world-class climber, one of the salt-of-the-earth kind of guy, insane outdoorsman, um, we're sitting there in Hawaii. He came with me. He wanted me to teach him how to surf, so he comes to Hawaii with me, and we're having coffee, and he's telling me about how this place in Kentucky that I didn't even know about, the Red River Gorge, how it's a top five place to rock climb in the world. The hiking's insane. It's got like a hundred waterfalls. It's mm-hmm. nuts. Um, it's like the Grand Canyon with trees. And I had no idea it's three hours from Nashville. So anyways, he's telling me how crowded this place is and all these people from Brazil and France and all over the world are coming to climb here and how much traffic is going through. And he's like, you know, there's really nowhere to stay and people are just camping out. And, and I was like, Let's build a lodge. Like, let's do it. Like, let's build, like, a really nice lodge with a bunch of bunk beds. Let's make it have a huge common room with a kitchen, you know, where people can, like, really relax. And it's like a gathering. And we can make it really cheap and affordable for people. Because that was my thing. Like, I've never tried to get into things. I've been offered all these different kind of things to make money. And I could have made a lot of money doing different things with people. But... I, if my if I'm not if my spirit's not moved anything because I've never been driven by money like I truly never have and I was like let's create a place that brings all these people together and it's like a home for all these people and they feel like they're a part of something we'll make it super cheap and um, you know like it's uh, I mean it's it's packed out every single week almost sold out every weekend um, it's it's a magical place man it's the most zen it's in the middle of the, the gorge 
Um, it's on this beautiful piece of land, man. They build fires every night outside. No one is on their phone. Everyone's talking, actually talking. Mm-hmm. No one's. It's uh, it's it's amazing. People are just going now to just hang out. We've had yoga retreats there. Um, they're just going to hang out, drink coffee, lay around, read books. We got books everywhere and like chess tables and. So even though a, it sounds like it's a chill clientele, but I mean, I've worked in the hotel industry yeah. and it's. It's more of a hustle than probably most people might expect. Have y'all had to learn? Jeremy the... and Mary run this whole operation okay. by themselves. It's it it, 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 it it sleeps twenty eight people a night, mm-hmm. and Jeremy and Mary have a suite in the place. And I was like, all right, we'll build you guys a big room. We'll make it big enough, you know. And they run the whole thing by themselves, man. And they're having a blast. They take people climbing every day. They show them, you know, all the good routes, and it's uh it's become a you know, and that made me get into it. I was like, all right, if I built this place. I got to get into it. And now, you know, like I went today here in Charlottesville, me and Manny, my bass player, we, we both got into it heavily over the summer. Now we're trying to go every day when we're on the road. Were you like out in nature or were you at Rocky Top? Like we were Rocky Bolton. Top. Yeah, <laughs> we were Rocky Top. I loved it, man. The place was great. Yeah, Rocky the Top's amazing. Great. I want so, I, yeah. you know, And when I get home, I'll shoot over to Kentucky and I'll go to Bedrock and I'll go climb outdoor then. Okay, okay. Yeah. That's amazing. And hilarious. Yeah. I once got in an argument with the owner of, of Rocky Top who didn't believe me that I could belay somebody. Um, and I was like, I was a camp counselor. I promise yeah. I can. <laughs> Ty, good night. I used to run the I used to run the rock climbing trip. Yeah. So yeah, the uh, it's a good it's a good spot. Um, so of the of these three things, which if any inspire the best like lyrics or or, or something? You, Surfing, rock climbing, backpacking. Almost so much the slow heart record. The, the a large majority of this record. When I go to Costa Rica, there's something that happens. Um, what are you I'm, doing in Costa Rica? I, I stay like in the woods in this kind of little bungalow a friend of mine has, and I um, I wake. I mean, it's like it's it's bare necessity. How did you I find it? How did you well, find so this? I met this guy in the water. Truly, like surfing. Like this guy named Pete. Um, met him in the water. Um, he invited me after we surfed all day together. Um, I, I I went down the coast on a limb and was like, okay, I'm gonna try to surf this spot, and mm-hmm. went for like a week. Met him in the water. And he invited me back to his place with him and his girlfriend. I had dinner with him. We just became fast friends. And now we'll go surf Hawaii together, Mexico together. He'll come to my shows. We hang out. And then he's got a little place in the woods in Costa Rica. And I'll, I'll stay in his uh, little extra room. And, um, man, I, I wake up every morning at 6. It's like a clockwork. Sun hadn't really come up yet. I can hear the monkeys in the trees, man. I can hear all the birds. And that's the one thing about this life now is I miss the mornings, man. I never get to experience morning anymore. I never get to experience restaurants setting up. And I love all those mm-hmm. sounds of a mm-hmm. city, like, moving. So I'll have my coffee, man, and it's every morning. And I'm constantly writing out here, too. But but um, so much of my writing happens on that walk between leaving that bungalow and I was about a 200-yard 200 200-yard walk to the water. And just stuff just starts coming out, man. Um, I'm drinking that coffee, man, and I'm and I, I have just melody after melody coming to my head, and I get back after surfing, and I start jotting down ideas, and I start going through guitar riffs, and so many of those songs that will be on this new record will spawn from just doing that, and then I'll have like a whole verse and chorus, and I'll call up Wesson Davis or Dan Couch, you know, two of my dearest friends, and I'll be like, all right, this is what I got, and I'll shoot them three or four different, almost full verse and chorus kind of stuff ideas. And then Weston will hit, hit me back with some dynamite lyric or Dan, and then we, we're off to the races, just kind of texting back and forth. And then when I get back to Nashville, we finish it up. And that's how most of this record, and then a lot of the record was out here on the road with these guys. And I write a lot with my band. We'll come up with riffs all through soundcheck, 
So and it's uh, wa- it's it's waking up to go surf is really your sweetest spot. Oh man, dude, it's um interesting. Yeah. I'm never thinking about it while I'm surfing. While I'm surfing, I'm completely locked in to what's happening out there. So I once got up on a wave for four seconds. It's crazy. It's not bad. In New York City, in the Rockaways. It's cold. It's where I was learning. That's where I lived. And so that's what, that's I, had to, that's what I had to work with. Um, but I found it incredibly... The strangest mix of anything I've ever encountered of, of slow pace and fast pace mixed together. Where it would be just waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting for an eligible wave. And then as soon as one came, I would have to execute all this stuff yep. I had just learned... Um, and try and hop up Man, onto my feet, and then I'd feel like an idiot when I didn't do it right. But there was something very satisfying about. I guess it's like what people get out of hunting. It's like a lot of waiting, and yeah. then you gotta perfectly do the one thing you gotta do. It's not a lot of waiting if you're in like a really happening spot where it's just way. Mm, that's not way. New York. Yeah, yeah. Um, like if you go to Costa Rica, it's pumping, really consistent. Hawaii on a good day, you know. Um, but I say this. I say this to people all the time. Like people ask me, like, why in the world would you surf, man? There's sharks, there's monsters, and I get that because if I love to snowboard, but if you told me tomorrow, if I said, man, great, I'm going to Park City to go to snowboard, and you said, oh, you're gonna have a blast, but Kip, watch out, man. If you go down that certain canyon run, there's a monster that comes out and he eats people every now and then. I'd be like, fuck that, I'm not going surfing, man. You know, like, <laughs> but surfing does something to me where. Although I will say, if you if you could repurpose Yeti in modern country music to be about that instead of yeah. another song about a cooler, I would really appreciate it personally. <laughs> but, you know, I'll say this. I was telling the guy this other day. Like, why would you do that? I said, man, because it's like this. When you get to a certain age in life, say 15, 14, 15, that childlike joy, that, that, that purest form of innocent childlike joy becomes almost impossible to tap back into. And to me... That is the most beautiful thing in life is experiencing childlike joy. Mm-hmm. Because once you get to a certain age, man, that shit's gone, man. And you're always grasping at straws trying to find out how do I get that again. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Joy is a very elusive thing, and it always has been for me. So when I'm out there at sunset or sunrise, man, and I'm on like a really good wave and I'm inside a barrel or something and I get off the back of it, I experience that purest form of childlike joy over and over and over to where, man, I will risk at all costs because to me that is the ultimate purpose of having life and being on this planet is to experience that, what you're experiencing in that moment. So I'll take whatever risk comes with that. Hmm. That's beautifully and eloquently said. <laughs> and while you were speaking, uh, wave on wave uh, yeah. got stuck in my head. Uh. <laughs> now I'm like, it could be about your, your chase of joy while surfing. All right, so... You know, you said you said you've you've written a bunch of music kind of in that setting, and I want to mm-hmm. pivot into kind of what we're what you're doing now, which is you know there is a fourth LP yeah. on the way. Yeah, the spring. Sometime in the spring. Yeah, you you got your single "She's Mine" right now. Yeah. What's like your kind of headspace for this next season of life? What do you want people to start kind of prepping for and beginning to kind well, of anticipate I, I, I for this record? That, I think that the the most important thing is an artist. You know. I'll have a lot of people whether I bring them out, you know what, and they see what this fan base is, and it's a very attentive fan base. And um, they'll ask me, you know, a lot of times, like, what do you think the most important thing is? And everybody's got different things, you know, but you know, everybody wants to have hit records. Hit records, you know. Tom Petty always says, you know, that's he's always wanting another hit record. Merle Haggard always says, I'm dreaming of one more hit record. It's like everybody wants to have hit records because there is such a power 
in radio to get the masses to hear what you do, but it's what do you have once you get those people in the door? What do you have as an artist? What does your soul have? What does your music have? What do you have to say? How are you going to make those people really feel something and to be a part of you? And the one thing that I've always had a grasp on is who my audience is and who I am. Mm -hmm. There's never been any bullshit gray lines. Like I have always really stayed authentic to who I am as a human. I've never lost sight of that. I've never gotten caught up in the smoke and mirrors of what happens through this whole journey. Um, so for me, I'm more locked in than I've ever been with that and who they are and who I am. So I feel like this record, um, of all the records that i made, I feel like, you know, each time I'm learning more and more of who my audience is and, and who I am. And I'm, I'm changing and I'll never make the same record twice. Like as I evolve, I want the music to evolve. I don't want to stay in that space of trying to be relevant to some younger generation if I'm not feeling that way anymore. If they happen to jump on board, that's great. But I'm going to grow with my audience as they're growing. Mm -hmm. And I think that the, with this record, you'll get a lot of sense of where I'm at very much where I've been at in my life over the last uh, year. I think sonically this record takes another leap. Um, there's more um, risk with guitar tones. Every time I'm always like, I will tinker with guitar tones for ages because I never want it to be the same. You, know, you get a record a lot of times with artists, you know exactly what every guitar tone is going to sound like. You know what the drums are going to sound like. We did a lot of experimentation with opening doors, letting things breathe and bleed in each other. You get like a lot of analog kind of sound. Um, and then lyrically, um, I think I've had a lot of questions with, you know, I've always had a faith about me. I still have that, but I still, I'm always trying to learn and I'm always inquisitive and with myself and with other people. And I'll, I've, you know, been trying to study this as I'm getting kind of way off, but I'll, I'll try to study some of what even like Islam is so I can like, you know, understand when I'm having a conversation with someone I'll study Mormonism like I'll study Hindu I'll I'll get into all these things and I want to understand where people are coming from and I think there's a lot of questions even I have with my own faith in myself and I think you get a sense of that some of this record of I'm still searching there's a lot of searching on this record there's also a sense of me kind of feeling like at times I was born in the wrong freaking time period. Like I was not supposed to be. Like I feel like I'm an old, uh -huh. a much older soul from a different time period. And I think you even get some of that with this kind of thing. I think there's a lot of that kind of... And then there's, you know, you're going to tap into some of the stuff that's got the elements of the wild ones that, that was always the crowd. My, my personal fan base, I feel like that's a, a very crowd favorite. You'll get elements of that aggression from wild ones and it kind of taps into some of those groups. Mm -hmm. So let, let me uh, let me just restart this really quick. You can only record for 30 minutes. So you just mentioned wild ones. Let me read you a, a quote from an interview you did years ago okay. um, where you said, I was watching our fan base multiply like crazy off of wild ones. Yeah. And that was your second album. Uh, but because I wasn't getting played on radio, everyone thought my career was dying here in town. Yeah. I heard the mumbles. I saw where all of a sudden maybe I wasn't getting the same calls I used to after the success of Up All Night because things weren't working as well on radio. Um, I, I I first... Well, no, I've seen you a few times. I saw you during Up All Night. I saw you open for Dirk Bentley during the Wild Ones era mm -hmm. and was like, frankly, astounded just how you were controlling a big amphitheater. Mm -hmm. um, I was like, damn, yeah. Kip can really c 
command attention and play a live show, and that's certainly become, I would say, you know, the the one line people kind of might say about you when when guys are just like shooting the shit talking about country music. It's like, man, Kit Moore has like a really loyal fan base yeah. that comes and sees him live. Uh, like, has that really been? Is in your mind, I guess what I'm asking is, is that your? Do you view your career the same way? Like, yeah, I mean, I feel like. I put a lot of work. Like, I, I, I it's, it's gritty for me, man. Like, I get around, and I'm not, I'm not, I get around a lot of people that I feel like is artists. You know, and for me, like, I've written over a thousand songs, man. It's what I, it's what I do, man. I'm constantly mm-hmm. writing and trying to perfect my craft where um, I never feel relaxed. I never feel satisfied. We sound check for two straight hours a day. <laughs> I've never missed a sound check in my whole career. I've never missed one. I'll have new artists that are having all the success and they'll come out on the road with us and be like, do you sound check? And I'm like, you don't? You know, it's baffling to me. Where, yeah. And I know now where people are using so many tracks and stuff to where, that you know, I, used to, I had a conversation with one guy that was like, you know, I asked him, you know, afterwards, I was like, so what are you going to do if your computer crashes? And he said, I don't know. <laughs> like, have you never thought about that? Have y'all, have y'all ever played as a band without the tracks? And he said, no. Nah. You might want to try that one time because it's bound to happen. I've, I've been uh, yeah. on gigs. Remember Ashley Simpson on SNL? Uh, man, it been, can happen. I have been, <laughs> I've been like opening, I've been like the direct support for somebody at one point that was supposed to headline this massive 40,000 thing and the computer crashed and they weren't going to play the show and I was supposed to do a double set. And I was like, you know, so for me, the reason I say that is because we put so much time and energy into what we do uh, as, a, as a band that I feel like that has paid dividends mm-hmm, for mm-hmm. our crowd coming to see us because they know that we're going to give them something that's going to make them feel something. And I, we are constantly, I'm constantly trying to work on my guitar playing to like expand my vocabulary with my guitar, you know. So it's, um, we we work so hard at that element that I think that's been our bread and butter for years and why people continue to come back through the ebbs and flows of commercial success. I mean, during that Wildwoods time, man. I went in this really dark, depressive state because I thought that, I even thought I was losing it. You know, we come off the heels of the massive commercial success of Up All Night and Hey Pretty Girl and, you know, those songs. And it's like, I had to follow that. And even my label, I felt like, felt like maybe that it was going away because they weren't in the trenches with me. They were back in Nashville in that little bubble that everybody lives in. And even I was kind of in that where I was like, dang, you know, I haven't had a top 20 hit on this whole record. But I started noticing these just groves of people coming to these shows, and we were selling out 2,000-seat rooms in a matter of minutes, you know, and we would play. I remember we played in Spokane on a Tuesday night, probably a month after that record came out, and sold out in a day, and we played the whole record. Think about this. Like, in this genre, like, in this, you don't really do this kind of stuff. We played the whole record from start to finish, 13 tracks. And they that whole place knew every single word mm-hmm. to all thirteen songs in in sequential order, and I was just like, "All right, we're on to something right here." And my gut served me right because I remember writing that was us, and I remember turning that in, and my, you know, people going, "We love the song, but you can't sing about this stuff in country music." And I was like, "Why not?" Yeah. You know, like why? Tell me, tell me why there's a, you know, why why are we putting a fence on this? You know, and it was. 
And that, to this day, that is the song that lights a place up every night. And I always knew it would, you know, so... It's interesting because I think, like, frankly, when you arrived, your your first kind of... I mean, I know you had a single before, Something yeah, About a Truck, but your the three big singles, Something About a Truck, Beer Money, Hey Pretty Girl, yeah. were in the heyday of bro country. Everyone yeah. was ready, self-included... And I put you in that video yeah. of why country music was awful in 2013. Yeah. Um, but if you listen to that record... I, I love that you record. You know what I mean? Like, like, I, and I wanted like to the, b- the bulk of that record is crazy one more time. And it's everything but you. Yes. And, it's, and where when, you are tonight, yeah. my favorite. And when you listen to the record, something about a truck doesn't really even fit on the record. You know what I'm saying? Like, sonically, it doesn't the, fit. The rest of what I was going to say wasn't an attack on those yeah. songs. I think in terms of if you're going to do a list song, I like kind of the structure of it and stuff. I think that's a, they're all fine songs in and of themselves. Yeah. I think it's just been interesting to, to see you so kind of subvert, I think what a lot of people's expectations yeah. were of yourself yeah. or of you. And, and I think I'm sure though, that I could see it driving you a little bit crazy, um, kind of coming off. Cause, cause I mean, and we don't have to get all into it, but yeah. it's like, you had a crazy 2011. I mean, I know your father passed away that yeah. year and then you break and like things are suddenly working. I just imagine it was a challenging transition then to not oh, have man. the big radio success to kind of, I got, I got, I got, um, I got into a insanely dark headspace, mm-hmm. um, from right before wild ones came out. I had a whole record that got shelved. People don't know that. Like, I wrote a whole record that I still love. But I think the label saw me breaking from what was such a huge record. Um, and the songs were so big. And, you know, the audience doesn't know a lot of times, too, like a song like a something about a truck. Um, and like I said, the nuts and bolts of that record were so different than that song. I kind of wrote that song as a joke, like just a kind of tongue-in-cheek joke <laughs> that I wrote in an hour mm-hmm. with Dan Couch after we'd already written the song. And I was just like, we were just kind of messing around. It wasn't like I'm trying to be some artistic, like we were just kind of messing around. Just I had that opening guitar, boom, 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 boom. We were just kind of messing around. And it was a super swampy kind of blues groove. And But, you know, when we turned it in, it was like, this is the single. And I was like, <laughs> and I'm kind of like, are we sure, you know? But at the same time, I can't... That song, it's it's still a joy for me to play because I know that it brought people joy. And it wasn't my favorite, but it, it I have to be like happy that that brought people in to see what we really did. Yeah. And then once they got there, they were like, shit, this is a rock and roll show. You know, and it was like... I, hear, I heard it all the time. People came in, they were like, we came to hear that song but man, that song, Crazy More Time that you played, and this and that, and then it was like, all of a sudden this stuff started happening, and I noticed with anyone that actually had the record, I started noticing my meet and greets, when I'd be signing for people outside after the bus, Crazy More Time and Faith When I Fall, every single time, if they had the record, that was their favorite. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, alright, those are the songs that I enjoyed writing most. Crazy More Time, it took me six months to write. I kept coming back to it. I come back to it. I come back to it. I'd have a dream. I wake up with more lyrics, and it was like, that was my bread and butter. That's what I did well, and that was my natural ability was that kind of thing. So once I saw that's what the audience loved, it gave me more confidence to stretch into that lane, and then Wild Ones became nothing but that. You know, it was all yeah, like yeah. that vibe and that a little bit of darkness mm-hmm, and this and that, mm-hmm. and it, and then 
you see this fan base just latch onto a product and you're like, I'm glad I've trusted myself, you know, in that sense. You know, it's interesting that as you talk, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm self-absorbed enough to apply everything to myself, but I think a similar thing honestly happens with music criticism is it's like, I can make a video, like I could include, uh, something about a truck in a video called like truck songs need to die yeah. or something. Yeah. It'll get a million views and that'll bring a lot of people in. But like 90% of my content is really positive. I love yeah. country music. That's why yeah. I bother to cover it, but it's this weird trade off where mm -hmm. I people it. respond to it. It's one of those things too, man, where I, <laughs> it's like, I get it. You yeah. know what I mean? It was like, you know, like I said, I wrote it very tongue in cheek, but I can't, I can't be disappointed because that's what provided the avenue for us. And it's still to this day, people still get down to that groove. And it's like, that's cool. Yeah. That's it's cool. like, it's cool. Yeah. Now let's talk about, now let's talk about something that, uh, things that aren't so positive. I have a quote that I want to read you from 2014. This was five years ago. And in all of the reading I did about you, this was my very favorite thing that I read. Cause I just found this to be a hilarious sentence. You said, there are things in this world that piss me off that I know I'll never be able to change, like shitty people in Congress, mechanics that tell you your motor is blown when it's most likely just a small problem, rising gas prices, selfies every two seconds, duck lip selfies, phones in general, paying $75, and paying $75 for a decent seat at a baseball game, people that bitch just the bitch, and being politically correct. But above all, the thing that pisses me off the most is scalpers. I would just yeah. ask, five years later... Um, which of those things still pisses you off the most? Oh, man. Uh, <laughs> that is a very entertaining quote. There's so much of that that still irritates me. Um, you know, I'm kind of a... Scalpers really, really bother me in a sense of, you know, I had a, a sports guy attack me one day, and I ended up going on to a show, and it wasn't pleasant, but... You know, I'd made the comment about scalpers, and he says, it's a free market society. I said, man, that's different, man. This ain't shoes. This ain't me going and buying this pair of boots that I'm wearing, and I can jack the price up because there's a million of these shoes around, and it's up to somebody else if they're going to pay for it. But it's like, this is a product. I don't. I roll through Charlottesville once every two years. You know what I mean? Like, mm -hmm. people in this town, you know, and it's something that we've done the lead work. Nobody else has done the legwork. We're the ones that have been out here like losing sleep and grinding through the years and, you know, losing relationships because of this kind of stuff. And like, you know, we're the ones that have paid the cost and the fans that have had taken the journey with us, you know, I don't ever, it's like, you go look at my merch booth, man. Like, I refuse to do stuff that prices people out of things. Like, I know I can sell that shirt for 40 bucks, but I'm going to sell it for 25 or 20. Like... I'm not going to do some gimmick to sell something that's super expensive to come back and meet me. Hell no, I'm not doing that. So, um, for me, I just have a problem with that, that someone can jump on a site that has access while Jim, who's my real fan, is working his blue-collar job, mm -hmm. who's, who's excited to come home and try to buy that ticket, but he got, had to go to work at 8 a.m., Tickets went on sale at 10 a.m. Now he comes home and the whole thing's sold out and he can't get in. I got a problem with that. And then it's some somebody that bought six of them and they jacked them all up. I just think that's a different situation than the free market society because this is a it's a different it's a different thing, man. There's 
you know, how many baseball games in a year? What is it? Uh, well, I know there's it's 80. Like 100. Yeah, 100, something. 160 or something. So you've got all kind of chances to go to another home game. Mm-hmm. you got one chance every two years at one of these shows coming through town. So if I'm trying to price my regular ticket at 35 bucks, 30 bucks, that's what I want the ticket to be, man. I don't want, I don't want that person that's to be strapped because they will pay it. I see it. They'll pay that 100 bucks off the... StubHub or whatever, and then they're strapped, you know, for the, I, I know what it's like to be that person, so I want to always try to protect those people, and it might always be a losing battle, and there's going to be some idiots that are watching this that are like, oh, you know, I can do whatever I want to do, and they're just, I, I still, I just think that's a shitty way to be a human. Um, I, you know, even when I had no money, I'm still not going to try so to do I don't, something I feel like, like yeah, you know, so. you're my audience, so I feel like you're not idiots, you know. I yeah, feel like, no, they're yeah. going to be like, that's cool. Thank yeah. you for defending us. Yeah, I just, um, I just, uh, I just don't agree with that. I, I think it's the, you know, it's, there's just ways that I want to go about my life to try to, you know, I don't do everything right by any means, but it's stuff like that, man. I just, I don't, I don't have a tolerance and a patience for, um, I hate that. I hate knowing that a family paid and now they're strapped for the next two weeks to try to get by. Couple last things just to kind of wrap up. Yeah. What would you say, like, you know, obviously you care about your fans. Why an acoustic tour right now? And like, what are you really, like, are there any things that are really surprising you on this acoustic tour? Are there songs that didn't work that you've, didn't work as well in a big, like, live band setting that are really clicking now? Or um, Nothing's really surprised me in that element. I mean, I feel like the fans have been latched on to all these songs. Um, it's been special to rearrange these songs um, and make them speak in a different capacity. Um, everyone doubted internally this tour. I got tons of pushback from management label being like, what's he doing? This is too early in the career to try to pull something like this off. Um, I knew what my fan base was. I knew they'd show up, and I knew they would love this. I had it in my head what I wanted it to be, and it's been everything I wanted it to be and more. Um, it's been so special to give them something, a different, a completely different show until this new record comes out. That was another thing, too, is I didn't want to give them the same show for this whole year, knowing a new record's coming in the spring, and I was just trying to hold them over and give them a different way to interpret these songs. And now, with a new record coming, we probably won't do this for another two years. Yeah. And I love it. It takes it's it's just a different way to play these songs, and it brings it back to the root. And it's something I can do now for the next twenty years, man. Other question would be, and I'm kind of barreling through now because Kip's got to go play a show. But who in country music right now is is are you just really intrigued by watching their work, loving it? I love Ingrid Anders. Um, Ingrid Anders. Yeah. In- Ingrid Anders. Yeah, I said it really fast. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Southern came out this time. I love what she's doing. Uh-huh. My other brother's Osborne. Yeah. Um, you know, there's there's a lot of you know. Um, I love Hardy's voice. Mm-hmm. Um, um, I've always enjoyed Church. You know, he's a guy that's you know just consistently stretched, and I you know you people, feel cut of a similar cloth. You know, people, yeah, like I just I dig how he's done it, and I also dig how he's not scared to go for it. And I hate it when everybody's like, "Oh, this ain't like the last record. Go back to being Chief," and I'm like. You know, the Chief record, I'm like, why Why would you ever want your favorite artist to make the same record over and over and over? we got enough of that shit going on. And also, I'm not going to say So you shouldn't names. want any father to remake Chief. You know? You know, like, <laughs> like he's got to grow up. I loved it. Yeah, man. You know what I mean? Like, you want to hear him singing about different things, you know? Like, you want him to evolve. Like, Tom Petty, man, I'd be, I'd be mad if he was doing 
running down a dream over and over. I, that's one of my favorites. But I love how he did, you know, Wildflower and all that stuff, man. They, that that, that mm-hmm. was great stuff, man. I want my artists to evolve the, the ones that I love. So um, good for him, man. Kudos for him just stretching, you know. So there's, there's a lot of people that I love, um, but those are just ones off the top of my head right now. And then last question, and the thing probably on everyone's mind, uh, what do all of these bracelets mean, if anything? Um, and well, team- most of them have snapped. There was a lot more than this. Uh, I get them from every surf spot that I go to. Really? I, I collect little things. Like somebody will make me something, somebody will give me something. I've had about 30 of them that have snapped through the years. So they just kind of snap, and then I'll get another one the next time I go, and it's just kind of like all like, you know, just memories of different places that I've served around the world. I had no idea. There you go. I was just trying to troll you. As I know he was trying to catch me, man, but he didn't. He didn't. He didn't There's go. a whole meme going around called Visco Girls of girls that wear a bunch of scrunchies on their arm, and so it's. Uh, I didn't know if you were playing along. <laughs> That's not the case. Anyway, thank yeah. you so much for doing you this better, Grady. Uh, again. You hopefully, it's not a. Uh, hopefully, it's not a, a major bellwether of <laughs> of the profile of interviews you'll do to come, but maybe it'll do great. No, I appreciate this it. This is man. the new way. Anyway, yeah. Cheers, bye guys. guys. Later. <laughs>